Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. And we have the honor of a big chunk of scripture tonight. And here in this last section of our summer journey through the small epistles of Paul, we're going to take on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And we're going to do it tonight in three chapters. We're going to have 1st Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. It's a big chunk, but I, I, it'll go by quicker than you think. Let's open in prayer. God, thank you for this evening. I thank you for this opportunity to study your word, and we pray that we're challenged and encouraged. I pray for my brother, Professor D, and, and we just pray that this, this conversation will give you glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we are reading from the ESV. Uh, let's open up here with uh, just verse 1. Uh, we'll just start with verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, and this is Silas, but the, the Greek rendition is Sylvanus or Sylvanus. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Professor D, what do we learn? What, what do our listeners need to know about just to introduce the letters, the letter of 1 Thessalonians? Uh, what do we know about the, maybe the time, the date? We, we've been doing this for every book so far in our series. What do we need to know about 1 Thessalonians? Well, we, there are several things that we need to know. First and foremost, Paul's the author, and Paul alone is the author. Now, per usual, he likes to mention the guys that are with him, like Sylvanus, as you mentioned, Silas, and Timothy. Um, but he's the only one writing. Um, this was written around 50 to 51 AD, or AD 50 to 51. Uh, and this would make the Thessalonian epistles, um, letters, for those of you who are not used to the, the term epistles, second and third oldest of Paul's writings. Now, this is not in the text, but from what we've studied and, and gathered, these were written most likely from Corinth, and obviously they were sent to the church at Thessalonica, as he says there. And um, I'm going to kind of give the, the whys right off the bat, and I think primarily it's to encourage them in their Christian living, and also to correct teachings regarding Jesus's return, as we'll see you know, as the book develops. As always, the grace and peace grading that is standard with Paul. Right. And for those of you who are wondering whether where this falls in terms of the ministries of Paul, his major Thessalonican time or the time of Thessalonica is in Acts chapter 17. And so this would have been, that would have been during Paul's second missionary journey, probably ad 49 ish so if he's yes. writing, if he's writing this ad 50 51 then it's not too far along after and most likely second uh, second thessalonians soon after that and so this would be um you know he he's he just he just had a really bad bad time in philippi and he's in jail and he gets kind of chased out of town paul's usually getting chased out of town <clears throat> and then he's in thessalonica and, and there's not gonna be there's not gonna be good people there either the church is really going to be up against it. And so, all right, so that's verse one. So now let's just finish the first chapter, so two to ten. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers. 
remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, and this is brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we not say anything. For they themselves report us, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Wow. Well, that's quite a chapter. But this chapter is kind of speaks of a personal history. Like, yeah. like Paul, Paul's got this. He's kind of just describing his visit there, how it went. So so what do we glean from this first chapter? Just it's all one big category of a personal history. Professor D, what, what does this what does this chapter teach us? Well, I think a big thing that this particular section teaches us is that the gospel came to the Thessalonians in the, in, in, a, in the midst of uh, persecution. You know, uh, we see that they had a hard time there, just like you mentioned in Philippi. And um, to be specific, this particular section happens in uh, Acts 17, verses 5 through 10, uh, which we're going to encourage you to read on your own. It's always great. So that way you have kind of that background story. And, um, you know, the fact that is that because of the persecution, this highlighted the Thessalonians' witness. Um, and, and when salvation is real, no matter how great or small, there's always a before and after story. They used to worship idols. Now they worship the one true God. And I, and I think that's awesome. That's great. And I think we can't neglect verse 10, though. He mentions this, and this is a very important one. He doesn't develop it a whole lot, but he mentions the second coming of Jesus. And I think that, that this is very important as he keeps on developing his letters here. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It, it, a couple of things that stood out to me towards the end. Uh, I, I, I like how you highlighted they they highlighted he highlighted repentance here. So yes. repentance, repentance to the turning. So you're going to you're going to turn from and turn to. And here is evident they turn from these idols and turn to the living God. It reminded me of, you know, when when Jonah's, you know, inside the belly of the whale, he had he tosses out a line. Uh, about worthless idols and idols basically are worthless and uh, talk about those who are clinging to worthless idols and that's essentially what we're seeing here they were no longer cleaning the work clinging to worthless dead idols but turning to the real mccoy the real deal and turning to the one living and true god and and also here mick he tosses in my my favorite salvation analogy the idea of what am i saved from well, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. So we're safe from yes. God's wrath. And, and so this is one more time where, where God's wrath is brought into the salvation equation and what salvation really, the benefit we really get for being saved and the wrath being upon Jesus for our sin as our, as our substitute. All right. Well, what a great opening chapter. We're moving right along. We're going to be in chapter two now. This is two, one to eight. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been, and been shamefully treated at Philippi, 
as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now, now, now Professor D, he, he kind of likens his ministry here to a nursing mother. And so in the next section, he's going to have like he's a father. And so mm-hmm. let, let, let's call this section the mother ministry. So so what about what describes how Paul's approach and how they went about things and his attitude? And what, what does this section teach us about how Paul was like a, a nursing mother to these these, uh, these so-called children? Well, it's funny. You, you, you label them father and mother ministry or mother and father ministry. And I actually label them pastoral care, mother style and, and pastoral care, father style. So with, 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 yeah, with the, um, with the mother ministry, as you labeled it, I think one of the things that Paul is trying to uh, demonstrate here in, in the motherly care, you know, the aspect of pastoral care is that he's trying to nurture them and at the same time, not burden them. You know, he talks about how he could have came making more demands and, and, and not making unfair or unreasonable demands, mind you. But nonetheless, he chose not to 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 further do the nurturing care. You know, um, as we're going to find out later, Paul works on the side. He has a side hustle in order to provide for his ministry rather than burdening a a a a, a, a baby church. And I think that there's something to be said about that. Um, you know, uh, he could have, like you said, he could have demanded and he didn't. And he, he talks about being gentle. And I think that's something that, you know, when we think of gentle, well, what's a, a word that, that's a similar word to it is kindness. You know, being kind, bear, being caring, wanting to see your spiritual children grow, you know. And, and, and that's one of the things. And, and one of the things that he emphasizes here, both in verse 9 and then later in the past, and in the pastoral section of the father as well, is that, you know, the conduct is important in the proclamation of the gospel. And he, he's going to get to that in a second. Yeah. And for those of you who are wondering about Macedonia and is it Ikea, Ikea, I, I don't know how to exactly pronounce it, but in terms of, of your, of your map, we can all picture where Greece is. So ancient Greece, and then imagine Greece wearing two hats, and the hat that would be the first hat, the right, right on top of their head, that would be Ikea, the Roman province of Ikea. So right on top of the Greece province, you've got, you've got Ikea right on top of that. And then if Ikea is wearing a hat, the hat on top of Ikea is Macedonia. So Thessalonica is up in Macedonia, but in between Macedonia and Greece is Ikea. So it's kind of like from bottom to top, Greece, Ikea, and at the top, Macedonia. So this, if you yeah. can picture this from a Roman Empire standpoint. Yeah. Great point. Anything else from this first uh, this first section of the mother ministry here in chapter two? No, that's that's pretty much about the long and short of it, to be honest. Yeah, and you know what? It's these kids were imitating Paul, and they were imitating God. And yeah, that, this is good things. And you, you were all imitating Steve here, and he came with 
without any pretext or greed. I love it. I love it. Let's go to nine to 12. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil and, and to toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You, excuse me, you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So we got the, we've had the mother ministry. Now we've got the father ministry. What, what, what was that all about? So again, keeping in mind that conduct is important in, in the proclamation of the gospel. I think one of the big things here is that in the fatherly care of the uh, pastoral ministry is, is the care and encouraging, but also challenging them to grow. He's telling them not to stay stagnant. You know, you think of it as the kid, the father teaching a kid how to play ball, you know, he's going to throw the ball. The kid's going to drop it a couple of times and he's going to say, Hey son, you got to start catching it. You got to start doing this. You know, he's going to start putting a little bit, you know, if, hopefully, you know, right. But, you know, he's going to start teaching the kid how to do things right. Um, and again, walk in the manner worthy of God or of the calling in verse 12. And obviously, I mean, we're doing this on the tail end of our series, but this is something that we've been seeing repeated throughout all the Pauline epistles, right? You know, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, walk in a manner worthy of God. And I just love seeing how Paul never lets up on some of these these things. Right, he's being a dad here. See, especially yeah. in the Roman world, dad was boss, and dad was in charge of making sure that the kids, especially the sons, were going to be functional citizen fathers themselves, and citizen men, and knowing what to do, how to do it. And what is it like to be a man? Maybe that's one of the greatest things a man can teach a son. What, what to model what a true man looks like, a godly man, and then to expect him to grow that way. And for for a, for a godly Christ-like father to model to his children, this is what God expects of you. You need to grow in that path. Well, going back to the point that you made earlier, imitate, imitate. You substitute the word model for it. It's yeah. that idea. Yeah, so I, I, we, we love how the mother and the mother side of the ministry, he came without and he wasn't trying to swindle them. He wasn't trying to take advantage of them. In fact, you know, it's it's, you know, our mothers come and visit our houses and she probably wants to start cooking and cleaning. It's like, mom, take a break. You're in my house now. You know, you know, moms want to get to work and start helping out. And and dad, I mean, dad, dad's like, hey, let me teach you about something. Let me, let me let me tell you about this thing here. And so there's something about that to, to the side of the ministry that Paul is using these images with both of them. It would have really, it would have really spoken to the Roman listeners in, in Thessalonica. All right. So, and that sounds like what Jesus would have done. Je Jesus used, you know, natural gardening images and agriculture images because he was speaking to people who were living a hand-to-mouth existence in an agricultural world. So this is, this is, this is a brilliant way to, to, to describe himself to Paul. But Paul is just kind of talking about ministry. He's talking about how the gospel moved in their midst and how and how you know he, they acted amongst them but we haven't really heard too much about responses and that seems to be our next section so 13 to 16 of chapter 2 first thessalonians we also thank god constantly for this that when you received the word of god which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is the word of god which is at work in you believers for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews 
who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. So we have some responses, Professor D. What did they teach us? Well, one of the, the things that, that Paul teaches in verse 13 is that the Bible and the gospel message is really the word of God. This is not a human invention. This is We can't make something like this up. I mean, if you look at every world religion, every philosophical system, it's based on something of you do this, you get that. It's almost a quid quo pro. Every, every other worldview except for Christianity, you know. So, I mean, really, this is the only message even now that, that is of that nature. You know, so obviously th this is really something that comes from God. Uh, the theme of imitators, once again, the, Im the theme of Im imitators of God in verse 14. You know, we saw it also in chapter 1, 6. You know, the importance of all believers modeling Christ in living and, and in speech as well. You know, um, Christ suffered. We suffer, period. There's no getting around it. And Jesus made it abundantly clear in John 15, 20. And he reminds us of that here in verses 14 through 16. You know, um, but the wrath has come upon them at last. The overall emphasis here on God's wrath is on basically everybody who opposes the gospel, whether Jewish or Gentile. And you notice in verse 14, it says your own countrymen. Um, and I want to kind of point out something here, because sadly, this is a, a, a passage that is used by too many anti-Semites to go after the Jews because they, they distort the context. Again, it's showing that the emphasis is on people who are against the gospel, whether Jew or Gentile. Again, your own countrymen emphasizes that this is not just a Jewish problem as it was that they were facing at the time, but it's a it's an always problem between Jews and Gentiles who reject the gospel. And again, sadly, this verse has been used to maximum horrible effect against the Jewish people. And not only rejecting the gospel, rejecting ministry, like yeah. rejecting speaking to the Gentiles. And so yeah. it, we, we could see this if, if it's a racial thing or, or if it's a cultural thing. Well, you can't go, you can't go speak to them because we don't want them to be saved. That takes us back to a Jonah mindset. He, yeah. he, he didn't want none of us saved. He knew God was the kind of God that could save. All right, so we continue with perspective, 17 to 20. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus and his coming? At his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. My goodness, Professor D. I know a lot of people say, well, the devil made me do it. And this is the one time, maybe one of the few times in scripture where, where Satan is showing some kind of measure of control of things. And, and in terms of, wow, Satan stopped. What, what do we do with that? Well, I'm glad you titled this section Perspectives. I mean, I kind of wish I did, but I went in that direction. But bottom line is this, but Satan hindered us. This is best understood in light of the sovereignty of God. On the one hand, the spirit directs us differently sometimes in the plans, even good plans that we have set. Paul wanted to go see the Thessalonians. That's a good plan. The problem was it wasn't God's plan. You know, Jesus taught us, pray thy will be done, not my will be done. So, and, and again, the example of this, because you, you brought this up so, so, so beautifully earlier, 
again, you can coincide this with things in Acts. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, you know, Luke writes it from a slightly different perspective where he talks about that the spirit directed Paul and company. And I think that when you put both of these together, you have kind of a better understanding of what it means. So as for Satan hindering, in other words, all that proves is that even Satan is used by God to carry out God's sovereign plan. So the spirit used Satan's hindrance to direct Paul to where he, the spirit, where God wanted to direct Paul, not where Paul wanted to go. Really, at the, when, at the end of the day, Satan cannot do anything unless God wants it or allows it to happen. And, and, I, and, and the classical example of this in the Old Testament and really in the Bible is Job's chapter one and two. Right. Um, it, there's also the constant emphasis, again, the return of Jesus in verse 19, you know, and and I love that that he talks about this. What what greater prize is there for us as Christians than to see those we have witnessed to those that we have ministered to those whom whom we we've done we've done our best to live the Christian life in front of to see them in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, to me, I, I, I agree with Paul. That has to be the the top of the pops. Amen. I mean, he had this desire to see them and, and evidently his desire was said, no. And, mm -hmm. and this is, this is a time where I'm sure he was in trying to interpret things. And he landed on the plane with Satan hindered me, but I wonder if theologically he was trying to figure that out as a God, do you really want me to go, want us to go? I guess you don't want us to go there because Satan doesn't have that power to really but, you know, we're also not surprised because what was it in, in, earlier on in Acts where the what was the story? The seven sons of Sceva go out and they start they, they start driving out demons. And one of the demons says, hey, Jesus, we know we've heard of Paul. Well, they've heard of Paul. And so evidently Satan knows about Paul. And I'm sure he's on Paul's, you know, Paul is on Satan's hit list here. And That's right. And you know what? Satan, for some reason, under God's sovereign plan, Satan won this one. And, and we're not surprised that, you know, when, when Paul talks about our, our battle being against, you know, not against flesh and blood, but against the principality. Well, here, here's some, even Paul was hindered. And so, yes, it agrees under the sovereign plan of God. But this is still Satan. I mean, Paul gives Satan the credit here. And so that's well, that would be I won't say that Satan won it, per se, other than when it came to agreeing with God's will, Satan was right. Right. <laughs> Maybe he was the broken watch. Okay. All right, so this next, so as we transition to chapter three, it kind of goes starts with like a hey, or Timothy being sent, then Timothy coming back. So I called this Timothy go and Timothy come. So let's do Timothy go three one to five. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. So now Athens are down in the Greece part. So Greece and then Ikea and then Macedonia. You're picturing on your map, okay? Therefore, we could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith, in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Why did he, why did he send Timothy, Paul? What is he, uh, Professor D, why did Paul send Timothy? Well, so we get a lot of uh, in, intel here. So bottom line, Paul and Silas couldn't go. And, and Paul was concerned. I mean, he was genuinely concerned. I mean, he really, this basically highlights the fact of how he really wanted to go back. 
but he, he followed God's lead. So he sent Timothy instead. And he wanted to make sure that the flock that he had left behind was doing well. He was afraid that his work would have gone to waste there. And thank, thankfully, you know, that wasn't the case, you know, because the problem was that the Thessalonians were under heavy spiritual fire being persecuted for their faith. You know, verse three and four, again, highlight, we are destined to suffer for the gospel. Wow. And, and, and he said that. And again, this is John 15, 20. Again, the pastoral care for the flock in verse five by Paul. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this this is in a very real sense. They they were probably younger Christians in terms of the faith. And there are people out there whose circumstances dictate their faith. If life is going well, then they're really good with God. They feel like they're good with God. But if life is hard, then all of a sudden they're, they, they don't really hold on to the trust they had before. And I like to say, whenever you have really hard time and your faith gets stronger, that's a faith with teeth because yeah. your, your circumstances are not dictating your faith. And I think he was worried about that. It sounded no, like, it, absolutely. was this all in vain that we come there and suffer just for nothing? Yeah. And not only that, but it's just the fact that he knew that he, he didn't get to spend as much time as he wanted to there either. Yeah. Well, that was Timothy Go. How about Timothy Come? Six to 10. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. We breathe. Oh, that was a long sentence. For now, we <laughs> thank you, Paul. For now, we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So what do we learn in 6 to 10? So Paul got the good news he had longed and hoped and yearned for in verse 6. And at comfort, oh, let me see how, oh, <laughs> we as believers can find comfort in, in the struggles that, that can come from the victory of, of others persevering. There's something to be said about that in verse 7 that Paul Paul emphasizes. And, and there's no way we can ever repay God, even through thanksgiving for, for all eternity, for all the goodness that God gives us. And I think that's kind of the greater point in verses 9 and 10. You know, God is infinitely good to us, even in the midst of persecution. Amen. Yeah, and he gives reason for the distress he's, he's, he's going through, and they were distressed, and Timothy brought comfort. So good job, Timothy. You, 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 evidently, Satan didn't hinder Timothy. So yeah. Timothy was able to go, and Timothy was able to come back. And so now, even though it's right in the middle of 1 Thessalonians, Paul gives us what appears to be a benediction. It's, it's, it's a benediction of sorts, 11 to 13. So we'll close out. Uh, chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians now. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts in blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Wow. So how, how does Paul land the plane, Professor D? Well, here's, he does several things. He reminds us that we all need to be led by the Lord, Kyrios, Jesus, in verse 11. All of us need 
to be led by Jesus. We all need to grow in love towards one another. Verse 12, you know, um, we, we want to be ready and presentable for Jesus' return. And he is returning. And the constant repetition of Jesus' return stresses the importance of the reality on how this should impact how we live today as we wait for his imminent return. Amen. Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but, uh, oh, and you know, I wanted to say real quick, uh, I, given what we're going to talk about in the next two weeks, I like how he gives us a spoiler alert regarding the Lord Jesus coming back mm -hmm. and coming back with his saints. We got to remember that. Yeah. That's going to play a role with, with what's going to happen if someone dies before Jesus comes back. Well, he's already given the spoiler alert right here. Yeah. The coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints. So we're going to, so it's kind of a spoiler alert. Pay attention to the next couple of weeks as we finish out the Thessalonian letters. Well, I don't know about you, Professor D, but this went rather quickly. I thought we, we, we cruised through three chapters of, of First Thessalonians. So now we get to what we always do, our closing thoughts. So Professor D, what are your closing thoughts for chapters one, two, and three? Well, there's a lot of good material as always in all of his letters, but on this one, I'm actually going to hunker down to uh, First, Corinth First Corinthians, First Thessalonians chapter 3 7 and really it's it's more than that but you know i'm going to focus on 3 7 where he says therefore brothers in all our distress and persecution we were encouraged about your faith you know and there's three points i want to kind of add to this and first of all persecution in the in the christian life is inevitable again jesus said it in john 15 20 and, and it's not a question of an if but more of a when and even how badly if things are going hunky-dory all the time, there might be something in your Christian walk that is missing. The other point I want to make is that our struggles, our, our contending for the faiths, for, for the faith, I'm sorry, unites us as believers. Our struggles forms a solidarity with, with, with all true believers and followers of Jesus who refuse to capitulate to the world in all Christian eras. Um, while, while I may wish it wasn't his this person's reality, there's something to be said about that that old pastor who is stuck in a Chinese prison and, and is still going strong for the Lord and is still praising God a la Paul and Silas and Philippi, you know, that that God uses that to kick me in the pants and and refocus my commitment and and grit for Jesus. And lastly, this demonstrates the authenticity of our faith. This, this this demonstrates the, the caliber of our faith. Amen. Yeah, for me, I mean, my my, my, my thoughts have been driven to, well, what is it in? Um, is it chapter? Is it chapter two? Like we're we're not doing this to please God or please man. We're doing it to please God, and. Uh, yeah, in chapter one, becoming you full of conviction. What stood out to me was Jesus' parable of the soils. And so I'm in Mark chapter four. So I know I've been reading a lot of scripture, but, but permit me to read just one more. And think of it now in terms of the Thessalonian Christians, because that's where Paul was, is that he had to send Timothy. He didn't know what the heck was happening. And so here we go. Jesus says, Mark, this is Mark 4, 13. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. So I love that because not only does it bring the worries to this life, it brings in persecution. It even brings in Satan. And so all things are in this chapter here. And Paul is sitting there wanting to be by them and come to check them out. He doesn't know if their faith has been proved genuine or not. He doesn't really know if they're producing a crop. And he's sitting there in another city trying to figure out what's going on. And of all things, Satan stops it. So he's, he's left to ponder, has all this been in vain? And so this stands out that our circumstances don't have to determine our faith, that we are able to show an immense, amazing faith and trust in God even when life stinks. And, there, and, and we love the fact that he sent Timothy, and Timothy was able to bring back a good report and for Paul to be encouraged. And so that just stood out to me that evidently the Thessalonians were the good soil. They weren't the first three soils of Jesus' parable. And it encourages us that no matter what we face, that we can trust God all the more. We can continue in the faith. And even though Paul was worried, at the end of the day, what could Paul control? Well, he could send Timothy and just trust the best. He still trusted God, no matter what kind of what kind of response he was going to get, because he knew God was at work. Even when he got shut down on the, on the mission field, he just trusted God. And so I, that stands out to me. So what a time tonight, Professor D. And this has been a great, this has been a great three chapter journey around. It was a lot of good stuff. It really helped that most of it was narrative. So that's kind of what drove it very fast, I think. And but, historical. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 but it was so infused with a lot of good theology in there, wasn't it? Amen. Well, well, we'll catch us in the next couple of weeks. We're going to finish First Thessalonians next week, and then we'll be in Second Thessalonians the following week. And, and it's we're going to get in some, some end times theology. So this, this first section. And I'm still Professor D. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode. And I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.